0: Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, the last in the current series of five programmes looking at the early decades of broadcasting to coincide with the 90th anniversary of RTHK. I'll be doing another series of five programmes towards the end of the year when there will also be a museum exhibition marking the history of RTHK. Last week, we heard about the advent of television in Hong Kong, with Rediffusion providing the first cable television. It was expensive, so many viewers would crowd into teahouses to catch up on their sport and soap operas. But that would all change in 1967 with the arrival of TVB. The 1960s was quite a decade here, both from the perspective of natural disasters, we'd had Typhoon Wonder in 1962, but throughout the decade and into the 1970s, Hong Kong would struggle with water shortages. What we have to say
1: in this programme is not supposed to scare or depress you. We simply want to make you aware of what our position is and what you can do about it.
0: There was also the political upheaval, as Hong Kong became increasingly nervous about the burgeoning cultural revolution across the border, which then spilled over into Hong Kong, resulting in a number of deaths of civilians, police, and a prominent commercial radio commentator. The crowd are rushing off down Devoe Road, and some of them have gone out past the post office into Conard Road. But first, let's go to Raymond Um, a former Deputy Director of Broadcasting at RTHK and also a former DJ, who sets the scene on what he was listening to as a schoolboy in the 1960s.
2: In the 60s, a secondary schoolboy. So I was listening to Uncle Ray and also on commercial radio, the other presenters. Mm. And we really learned English through that channel as well. Uh, on, on the English side, of course, we all listened to the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Elvis Presley, Cliff Richard, Pat Boone, and so on and so forth. On the Chinese side, at that time, we were having local bands due to the influence by the Beatles' wave. So we had Teddy Robin in the Playboys... Sam Hoy and the Lotus.
3: Don't try and understand me, you never could do that.
2: Michael remedias and the Mistakes.
4: Hey girl, I wanna walk with you. I ah girl, so I can talk with you a while.
2: All those were our idols.
0: I want you to know that I really care Anytime
4: you want me to go, then I'll be right there
0: The Beatles had been here for a concert in 1964, and they were back in transit at Tak Airport in 1966 as they passed through from a concert in Tokyo and then on to Manila.
4: One Sunday afternoon in July, saw the Beatles arrive on a brief stopover at Tak Airport. A special press conference was held in a small room far away from the fans, where John Lennon was asked about competition from the Rolling Stones.
5: Well, I don't agree to it, and they don't either. I know them, and the people that say all the things around the world don't know them. Our record sales and theirs are still... There's still a vast difference in Britain between our record sales in Britain and anybody else's, and everybody in Britain knows. It's only people abroad comment on what's going on in Britain who don't really know.
4: And Paul McCartney was asked if he signed MBE after his name these days. Do I ever sign it? No, no. I don't believe it, you know, let alone sign it. No, um, it's, that's uh, a sort of funny thing, that it's because it's one of those things that when you haven't got it, it sounds so important, it sounds really important, and it is important, you know, because it's an honour. But when you've got it, I don't care who it is who's got it, obviously, uh, something you've attained no longer has to have the same significance as it did before you attained it. Ringo Starr and his feelings about not being able to see the fans. The only drag with autographs is that the fans never come directly to us to get them. It's always officials who keep us locked in little boxes like this, Mm. who have, sort of, ten or twenty books with them, only just their daughters and the chief's daughter, like that guy there said, you know, the boss's daughter, and all things like that. The the real fans, you know... Never get that. Never get that close, and, you know, we've tried and tried, but it's impossible and finally George Harrison, and whether success had spoiled the Beatles. I don't know. You see, we tried at first. Uh, You know, we started believing a bit of what they were telling us, you know, about how great we were. I mean, a natural thing, you know, you suddenly keep reading about how popular we are. But after that... Then we realised that you know we were still you know it was quite funny in a way because although we're sort of big famous Beatles and George John George Paul and all that thing and MBEs and whatever it is, uh, well you know we looked around and it's still just it's still us you know as far as I'm concerned it's still my th- me and my three mates who I've known for years you know and it's all it's you know like. If you were with three friends of yours, suddenly you were famous, you know, but you'd still, it'd still be you, wouldn't it?
0: Radio Hong Kong would also report on the regular water shortages that plagued Hong Kong, where at times residents were reduced to collecting water from standpipes for four hours every four days.
1: We'd like you to listen to what we have to say. It's about water, about water and those of us who live in Hong Kong. Do you know how much water Hong Kong has left? And what what's left means in terms of days? At 8 a.m. this
5: morning, there was 2,307 million gallons in storage and 360 million gallons due from China, making a total of 2,667 million gallons, which, at our present rate of consumption, will last us 43 days and all our reservoirs, Provided we don't get any rain, we'll be dry
1: by the 26th of June. The 26th of June, provided we don't get any rain. That was Mr. Wilmot Morgan, the government waterworks engineer, and he should know. So we have about six weeks of supply left, less than one quarter of the maximum storage capacity.
0: It was also a time to promote British business with a royal visit from Princess Margaret and Lord Snowden.
6: It was British Week in Hong Kong, inaugurated by Princess Margaret. And at the engineering exhibition, Her Royal Highness, after receiving the generous applause, saw the exhibit. Hong Kong is of considerable importance to British commerce. That great international traveller, the minicar, is an outstanding example of the old saying, trade follows the flag. This little marvel of engineering genius evidently has no secrets from the Far East. The Princess's visit gave a grand fillip to our trade. Hong Kong set out to repay Her Royal Highness with the affection and hospitality in all ranks of society for which the colony is famous. One memory of her visit, which Princess Margaret will treasure, was the evening at the opera. The Governor escorted the Princess into the Lee Theatre, awaiting her and Lord Snowden was an entertainment of which there is no parallel in the Western world, Chinese opera. The operatic company marked this royal occasion in a most charming way. The principal stars conveyed to the princess the thanks of all the performers for the royal visit. During her short stay in Hong Kong, the princess was able to benefit British wheat and assure the whole population of the warm place they hold in the affections of the people of Britain.
0: But the key events of the 1960s were the riots of 1967, which began in a plastic flower factory with a labour dispute, but would also be affected by the cultural revolution across the border. Radio 3's Peter King used to have a series called Hong Kong Scrapbook, where he took events and voices from our archives and mixed them with the music hits from that time. So here's a taste of his Hong Kong Scrapbook, focusing on July 1967, with Radio Hong Kong narrator Warren Rook.
7: Hello, I'm Peter King. This edition of the Hong Kong Scrapbook looks at the month of July '67, and features the news and music of that month, The main events being the riots and violence that proved 1967 to be Hong Kong's most troubled year since the Second World War. However, the first part of this programme looks over the occurrences prior to July of that year. And here's Warren Rook. Trouble began in early May in the form of a genuine labour dispute.
4: It ended after months of processions, rioting, bloodshed, street fighting and terrorist bomb attacks. The year of violence cost more than 50 lives. When the workers of a plastic flower factory in San Po Kong demonstrated for higher wages and better conditions early in May, they obviously had little idea that local communists would grasp the labor dispute as an opportunity to start riots like this.
1: A squad of riot police are charging the mob. It's a baton charge, and the mob
7: rushing off down the road. Now the police have halted. The crowd are rushing off down DeVoe Road, and some of them
5: have gone out. Past the post office into Connaught Road.
4: What began as a series of well-organized demonstrations in the heart of the city of Victoria on Hong Kong Island quickly became violent clashes and running street fights as demonstrators deliberately taunted the police. The following week, Britain's Deputy Under-Secretary of State for the Commonwealth Office, Sir Arthur Goldsworthy, flew in from London for talks with the Governor, Sir David
1: Trench. Ministers in London have been kept very fully informed of the course of events here, and my colleagues and I will now be able to report to them more fully uh, in person. And this was the purpose, the main purpose of our visit. But before I leave, I would just like to pay a very sincere personal tribute to the admirable way in which the people of Hong Kong have faced up to the recent difficulties.
4: A series of emergency measures, banning processions, public broadcasts and meetings, brought an end to the mass marches and demonstrations, but curfews had to be imposed over parts of the colony. The communists, realizing their campaign of inciting people to riot was a failure, turned instead to public transport companies. They called on workers to strike, threatening them with violence and intimidation if they failed to do so. On the 26th of May, the governor, Sir David Trench, went on television and radio to explain the position to the people of Hong Kong. Statements
3: on these events were exchanged by the Chinese People's Government and by Her Majesty's Government in the United Kingdom. And uh, that from the Chinese People's Government was very strongly worded, much more strongly worded in fact than the events actually warranted. Certain unacceptable demands were also made uh, upon us locally. And London all through has made it clear that the Hong Kong government would have the, the full support of the Majesty's government in m- maintaining peace and good order here. The government's attitude and its actions have received and are still receiving the unstinted support of more than 95% of the people of Hong Kong. This uh, firm response by people here has been a very marvelous and a very remarkable thing.
4: The communist call to strike was only partially successful. It began with workers of Hong Kong's two bus companies, later spread to the Star Ferry, the tramways, power stations, dockyards, and several government departments. In neighbouring Macau, trouble erupted when soldiers were forced to open fire on a crowd of demonstrators. Later demonstrations were focused on the British consulate in the Portuguese colony, and by the 26th of May, the consulate was closed.
7: Today, July the 1st, and the papers were full of details regarding the plane crash that occurred the previous day when a Thai International Airways caravel with 80 people on board crashed into Kowloon Bay whilst making an instrument approach in heavy rain. At least 20 people were killed, but 56 managed to escape. It was also announced that Singapore said that it would send what food it could spare to prevent people going hungry because Hong Kong was in trouble as the four-day strike on bringing food from China was extended. Tuesday, July the 4th, and police opened fire when a large crowd of about a 1,000 gathered outside the Shamshui Po branch of the Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank and refused to disperse. A man and a woman were slightly injured. Friday, July the 7th, and the Director of Education warned that if any schools in the colony engaged in activities considered subversive, they could be closed down. Mr.
1: Gregg, what is your own reaction to the persistent reports of schoolchildren being forced to take part
3: in leftist demonstrations? I think this is quite deplorable. In the first place, uh, I think it's a a very cowardly way of procedure. These children are quite young, and they appear to be, in many cases, most cases, forced to take part in this kind of activity, which is completely uh, out of line with the kind of things... Which they should be doing in schools.
4: Emily tries but misunderstands. She's often inclined to borrow somebody's dreams till tomorrow. There is no other way.
7: Pink Floyd in the charts, ad number six in July of 1967, and see Emily play. Saturday, July the 8th, and a left-wing bid to call a strike in garment factories failed. It was reported that it was because leaders could not afford to bribe the 72,000 workers. Sunday, July the 9th, and violence erupted in the colony, resulting in the death of a police constable and three rioters. The policeman was hacked to death when a patrol attempted to disperse a group of people distributing inflammatory leaflets.
0: Radio Hong Kong's Ray Cadiro found himself employed by the colonial government for some anti-communist action.
8: Then Radio Hong Kong was in Central, what is now now in Broadcast Drive Kowloon. It was in Central and we uh, the government rented four floors or the six floors from Cable and Wireless. And uh, I was spent playing my my program in the afternoons, uh Hot 100. And one day they they tried to demonstrate in Macau, and the Cultural Revolution, and the students succeeded in Macau. They took over Macau, and they wanted to try Hong Kong as well. Then uh, one day, uh, my boss uh, Donald Brooks came to me. He said, "Uncle Ray, we want you up in the roof." I said, "What for?" He said, "Well, you play uh, play your hot hundred and up in the roof." So I went up, and when I arrived at the roof, I saw eight horn speakers. Because Bank of China was just in front of Radio Hong Kong in the Beacon Field House, and they were blasting propaganda around in the small little boxes, you know, their speakers. And I saw eight horn speakers put up by the British Army, you know, and so so, so I realised that's why I, they want me up here. So I was in the roof spinning my Hot 100 and was blasting all the way to Star Ferry from, from, from uh, Queen's Road Central, all the way to Ferry, <laughs> the, the Bank of
0: China's little speakers just couldn't be heard. Commercial radio broadcaster Lam Bun was very popular, but Oliver Chow, the programme director of Hong Kong Youth Space, tells me how his outspoken criticism of the leftist rioters led to tragedy.
9: Lam Bun was alongside with Wan Fongling in a very popular show by the name The Diary of a Big Man. It's about... You know um, the burgeoning middle class at that time, uh, a husband who was a white collar uh, worker in central, and he had all kinds of stories to tell every time after a day of work or during the day of work, how he encountered difficult balls at work, and then his uh, his wife at home waiting for him to come back and all, all that kind of thing that Dai Jong Fuyat gay is so successful that it made to the big screen and Dai Jong Fuyat gay could well be one of the most iconic shows on the radio and also on, on the back screen uh, from the 60s. It was so successful that even in the 80s, Chow yun did a remake of, of the movie. When we talk about Lam Ban, many people would recall uh, the way he died in 1967, uh, which was a big event that has lived in the heart and soul of Hong Kong people for a long, long time. He, along with George Ho, boss of uh, commercial radio, uh, were very disturbed by the growing violence of the leftist riots in Hong Kong in 1967, so much so that they had a airtime to make their condemnation. And it was quite a special circumstance at that time because this kind of current event show was rare at that time. Even the news script had to be approved by the government before it went on air. So for this kind of radio show that became so direct in con- condemning or in commenting on current events was really rare, but lamban was doing it. And then he received a lot of threat A lot of phone calls that threatened his life, and he did not really care. And unfortunately, it did happen on 25th of August, 1967, when he and his cousin, when they were about to go to the station at their Waterloo Hill residence, they were intercepted, and they were in the car. Lam was driving his Volkswagen, and they were intercepted and the rioters throw bombs into his car. And uh, he was burned to death. And it was a very big news at that time because Lam Bun himself was, was already very popular. And there was an estimate that at that time Hong Kong had a population of 3 million. More than 1 million listened to him every day during those difficult days of the riots. His death took place one day before the uh, commercial radio anniversary, which was on the 26th of August. So the event became a very unforgettable mark for commercial radio. In fact, for the next 20 years, George Ho would lead his entire staff to pay tribute to Lamban for his uh, sacrifice to the service of the radio.
0: Over the past couple of programmes, I've been playing news items and features from the RTHK archives that have included the voices of different reporters in the 50s and 60s. And the main voice we hear is that of Ted Thomas, still a Hongkonger here today. I've enjoyed listening to Ted's skill as a narrator and producer, creating a picture of Hong Kong for the listener, whether it's the expansion of Kai Tak Airport or rural life in the new territories. So here's a mix of some of his work.
1: Position Cathay, Fox.Zero, 1195. Cathay, Hong Kong, Position, 119.5, Region Long, Claire, how do you read? Position by five 555, five, 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 Altazer. Out of 4,000 feet, the uh, commencing line procedure to turn in approximately
5: 10 seconds. Approaching Hong Kong. Visibility is low. A commercial airliner at 4,000 feet, 10 miles away, checks in for precision approach radar control landing. Over 100 passengers peer anxiously through the aircraft window, squinting for a glimpse of the land below through the swirling mists outside. From Hong Kong's air traffic control centre just below the airport control tower at Kai Tak, one man directs the delicate operation of talking 150 tonnes of aircraft down onto the runway. Now, counting off the seconds, six, five, four, three, two, one, and they're off. And the first of the greatest team, Holland, into the band, Kirk got left behind. Immediately after Holland, came Henry Lee in the Lotus Cortina. So that was the order as they went out here. Steve Holland, first of all, in the Lotus Cortina. Uh, John Kirk was um, left behind at the start. I'm not sure what the reason for that was. I hope it's nothing to do with his arm. And um, another Lotus Cortina out past him. And in that order, they went out from my sight under the trees in the Yacht Club Bend here, around to the right and into the Yacht Club straight, where in just a second or two, Warren Rook will see them. When you pass over the screen of hills behind Kowloon into the new territories of Hong Kong, the road runs first around the shores of an inland sea, a winding hillside road that brings you out at the market town of Tai Po. British engineers are building pump houses, and there's an inflatable polyethylene dam which you can blow up to raise the level of the water of a little lake here. French engineers are burrowing through the hillsides in a network of tunnels to move water to and from a new sea-level reservoir to be enclosed in one of the arms of this inland sea. Here, the flatter land is diced in fields and farms, chicken farms, vegetable farms, and farms of little citrus trees. The road is lined with Australian gum trees and Chinese lychees, and the hills are clumped with tropical bamboo, temperate sycamore, and the almost arctic China fur that grew up as a native of the icy winters of China's frozen north. Here a farmer is wading knee-deep in a field flooded with fresh water. He carries a long bamboo wand and is herding a gaggle of geese which are dabbling in the pond. Here four pigs lie quietly in bamboo pokes at the roadside, waiting to be loaded into lurries and taken to market. And here, across the wooden lock that controls the water level behind dikes that date back to the Qing dynasty in China lies the Hakka village of Luk Gang.
0: Ted Thomas there. In 1969, Radio Hong Kong was provided with a brand new building for its headquarters at Kowloon Tong.
1: Well, of course, the big difference is the fact that I've had to move from Hong Kong to Kowloon, but it's a very willing move, I must admit, because the station itself, not only in square area, but in facilities, is, uh, is marvellous. Of it's course, it's much better than the old studios at Mercury House. I think the singular... Uh, point of interest here as far as uh, working conditions are concerned is the fact that um, all departments are together in the same building and it's, it's very easy indeed for me to contact any of the uh, various sections, radio features, news and talk and that sort of thing almost from fingertip.
0: My thanks to Raymond um, Oliver Chow, Ray Cadiro. Peter King and Ted Thomas. I'll be back to regular programming on Hong Kong Heritage next week but if you'd like to listen back to this five programme series, they're online at the Hong Kong Heritage Archive and I'll be taking the story forward from the 1970s later in the year. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.